Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast. This is episode 21 for Saturday, May 20th, 2017. This weekend show, Ben is sitting down one-on-one with Jimmy Duresta. I know it's a show you guys have been waiting for, and it's a good one. I just got done listening to it, and it is top-notch. If you guys are new to the show, we'd love to have you subscribed. That way you can get updated every time we post new videos, which are on Thursdays and Saturdays. Thursdays are our typical podcast. All three of us kind of have a roundtable a topic suggestion, and we get to riff on that. Saturdays are a chance to experiment with format like this. We do one-on-one interviews, have guests on the show, do Q&As, all kinds of weird stuff. So make sure and subscribe for more content. And without any further ado, Ben, take it away. All right, so welcome to The Weekend Show. I'm here with the one and only Jimmy DeResta. I am assuming that this man needs a new introduction because he was my introduction into this sort of YouTube community. Is that Uh, true? Yeah, it was uh, you and Bob were like the first videos that I watched. No kidding. I thought you were here like with me. I didn't realize. No, no, I came a little bit after. Um, And it was actually, uh, I just sort of dumped videos onto YouTube right away. And then Bob, you know, being Mr. Nice Guy, like was like in the comments, literally following his advice that he's now giving to other people on your podcast. Right. uh, Was just like, would would provide this like helpful comments. And that was like the first time I was like, oh, wait. There's a community. I was just treating YouTube wow. at first. Like, I first heard you through Bob. Bob was dropping yeah. my name all the time, and then I started watching you. Yeah. And so Bob really sort of brought me in. But I had seen your videos. I had seen the the, the, the AK-47 uh, yeah. guitar one. Thank you. And a couple other ones right away. So, again, with Jimmy DeResta, and happy to be chatting. We're actually in his upstate New York new temporary shop. Just yeah. gave me a tour of the, the farmhouse and stuff. It's awesome because the last time I saw you, we were in your basement shop. So yeah. it's like literally got, got to see this transition to the new <laughs> My the new era. Of dirt. <laughs> That's what I call it. Well, yeah, you are like a Johnny Cash fan, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan, fan of Johnny Cash. Even though I think music. that's from the Trent Reznor one first. But uh, well, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I can't remember. the new. There's a really new singer, and he, he says, uh, Welcome to My Empire. Yeah. Dirt, which is it's an old phrase, but... That's what I feel like because you're so clean and modern, homemade modern, and I'm showing you around my house and I'm very self-conscious of all the piles of junk here and there. We're in the middle of spring cleanup, and mm-hmm. so I told you that we rent the house. And when we rent the house, the house becomes spotless. But I got farm equipment laying around, tree trunks we're going to turn into tables. And- that, that's actually actually not that dissimilar to how I live. Like yeah. it's my, my, I'm actually kind of messy too, yeah. uh, but my piles of junks are like Legos and yeah. like – concrete residue right. and stuff like that where yours i think is more like greasier like iron <laughs> yeah. you, really affinity for cast iron things yeah. that are massive and then taylor's gotten into the she's she's in charge of the new stone work that's going to take place all around the house right we enlisted a stone guy dry stack guy and he, and he bailed on us so we have tons of stone stacked everywhere mm-hmm. which this summer hopefully we'll be able to find a good technician to, to do that for us well, the, the the thing I actually want to talk to you today about is like messiness and like discipline, uh, yeah. and because it's, it's one of the things I always struggle with. Like where I can mm-hmm. be kind of sloppy because once I once I get an idea, mm-hmm. I'll just go. And my sister always laughs because I literally just leave a wake of destruction in my I'm path. I'm the same way. I'm just like a burrowing maker, and it's just like need that glue gun, you know, throw I it am, to the side, I discard the it, way. and it's like I can't stop and be organized. I yeah, I my my theory is. You always have the end of the day. Don't don't right. don't interrupt the flow of. Uh, don't stop the momentum. Prioritize the momentum. that creative impulse yeah. and momentum. Yeah. So the the one of the questions because it's something I always wrestle with too is 
is that like an actual thing? Is it like there's there's one like kind of like superhero ability of like can get ideas, mm-hmm. can see sort of a semi path implementation and just go 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 till it's done, or are we just sort of justifying <laughs> being sloppy burdens on other people? Well, I'm old enough now. I just turned fifty. I'm old enough now where in the last five or seven years, I've come to the realization I'm never going to be these certain types of people that I wish yeah. I could be. I'm never going to, and I've talked about this a lot, I'm never going to be that precise machinist. Right. I'm always just going to work by feel and see, like touch and feel. I'm never going to be the guy that like breaks out the caliber or have a really tight plan. I always wanted to be that, but at this point in my life, I don't think I could change. And so I am the guy that just works on the seat of his pants. I am the guy that just says, you know what, let me pile that there, I'll deal with it later. Because I always want to organize it but it's just mentally overwhelming. And, and we're looking at the back of my warehouse. It's just full of all the junk from the city. I can't believe all that fit in the city, my city space. It's just amazing. <laughs> it's all very disorganized. So in the city, it was very like niched into spots. And I collected it over 15 years. So like as I brought one thing in, I found a space for it. Now when it's all at one time being yanked out and it's just a big pile of, of, of stuff to deal with. How, how do you – so? I, and I, I tend to completely agree that it's like, I think one of the strengths as you get older, and one of the things I actually like about getting older is you become more at peace with the things that you, you're mm-hmm. just not good at. And you've realized that like, yeah. oh, I've tried to be this way a hundred times and it just hasn't <laughs> it's worked. Never change, yeah. um, and I think the things is it's been good for me is that it's made me more open to partnerships with people that have skill sets that yeah. are the opposite. Because when I was in like architecture school, if I got paired in a group project with like, you know, my, my, who, uh, this woman, Stephanie, who ended up becoming my business partner, architecture firm, I used to get frustrated with her cause she's, she's not as quick thinking through a design as me, but she's super meticulous. Right. And I'd be so annoyed that she, I'm like, okay, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this, and it's going to be you this material. You everyone's strength though, as you get into a partnership. And the older I get, the more I am just incredibly appreciative that she knows where all the shit is. Like, <laughs> like right. she's organized and meticulous. She right. makes sure when she runs the architecture firm that like, Everything gets paid on time, and right. there's no waste. Right. Um, so I guess what we're saying, you can be hard on yourself when you're young, but when you're older, <laughs> you just realize that you're kind of... <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it, it's, it's also coming to terms with the people around you. And, you know, I, I live with Taylor, and Taylor and I have been together for seven years. It's the longest relationship I've ever had. But part of being in a successful relationship is being able to say, you know what? This is what this person yeah. does, and that's fine. I love them for other reasons. This might not be one of them, but I take everything because I accept this person wholeheartedly, as opposed to making that the one thing right. that causes you to leave that person. Yeah, you seem to thrive in like uh, in seeing your last shop and seeing how you're kind of had this shop set up. You seem to thrive in sort of like a – it's almost like a structured and quarantined little burst of chaos like all around, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. And when you first look at your shop, you're like, this is just, it's just visual density of a million things. And then you look at it, it's like, oh, the things are clustered, right? Like, there's a whole bunch of ball peen hammers right here. <laughs> right, there's right. a whole bunch of like plastic Star Wars masks over here. That there is like a little, <laughs> yeah. it's like little different funguses of stuff like outcropping That's funny, into yeah. different, that is different true. little that areas. That helps me, we were talking about this earlier today, but that helps me organize the chaos mm-hmm. is knowing that, okay, over here is where I left all my Star Wars masks. Over there is where I left my my ball peen hammers. It, it helps me. Like if you look around the room, there's a pile, there's an area where there's drawer bins and over there is where the, all the horses right. were. I made a conscious effort to put all the horses on one side of the room as I took them out of the car and all the clamps are jammed in that corner for some reason. I don't know why I just got to pile them up, but they will become more structured in this room. So that being said, knowing that you're sort of like accepting of just the sort of natural sort of 
tornado of making that mm-hmm. occasionally happens. Like what, what are the things that trigger where you say, okay, I got to get my shit together. I got to like organize or go on a spring cleaning. I mean, obviously you're doing it now because of the move and stuff like that. But what has been some of the triggers where it sort of said, where you, where you, I mean, have there been times in your career where you let it get too far and then you had to like stop and. Well, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's gotten out of hand. And recently Brett has been my new, my new shop assistant. Uh, Brett has been hanging around Brett McAfee. He's got his own Mm. YouTube channel and he's learning in my shop with me. And Brett is more organized than me. So yeah. Brett will be like, okay, what don't we need now? And he'll make sure everything gets put away. But we are in the middle of the move, so it's almost like, what are we going to attack to get out of here? We're, like, right. we're dwindling my, we're whittling my shop in the city down to like just the essentials that I'll need in the last couple of weeks so that this overlap shop will be able to both be usable. Um, but Brett helps me out. And uh, Dave Welder was, was also good, but Dave was more like me. He's more like right. jump in to get stuff. So we were too much... Dave was like Dave was like my my little brother that I never had. Who we always did the same. We, like we do things the same way. Right. And uh, I love Dave, and Dave Dave's been great in my life, and we're still close friends. But I need someone like when Willie comes and cleans. You guys mm-hmm. know Willie. Willie will clean up. Willie's the most meticulously neat person that I've ever met in my life. Like right. Willie will attack this room, and it'll look like it was never dirty. Right. And Willie's great. When I leave Malone in my city shop, I'll come back, and everything will be. He, he arranges things. He, he basically knulls stuff. He doesn't mm-hmm. know the meaning of knulling, but right. the Tom Sachs has always been knulling. So right. he, he know, Willie knulls stuff just inherently. So when Willie is like the final, the finishing touch, after Brett, even with Dave did stuff, Willie can keep everything clean. So Willie's like my my main guy. Taylor comes in and tries to help on someone, but she gets too frustrated with me. She has to just distance herself. She's like, I'd rather you just be alone in that room other than us fighting because she has her way. So in this particular room, this is a 50 by 100 foot room, She's going to have a large section on that side, and I'm going to have this side. I'm going to keep the corridor down the middle for cars and whatever else I do. But she's definitely going to have that wall, and I'm going to have this wall. And that's been the agreement we started in the beginning. Yeah, I think, I think it's an interesting thing. Like in the YouTube space, so many people talk about collaborations, and that's such like a known way of like building audience. And for all the sort of younger YouTubers out there, definitely consider collaborations. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's uh, both in the sort of producing a piece of media sense, but also in the sort of either – living together with a partner or business partners and stuff like that, there's probably the the part that doesn't get talked about is what we're sort of alluding to now where it's like knowing your own tendencies and knowing that you sort of act a certain way uh, really helps. And there's also, like you just described working with David, uh, mm-hmm. collaborations and partnerships are so different when it's with somebody with a similar skill set yeah. where it can be about feeding that momentum yeah. where it's like, you got an idea, then he's got an idea, then builds I mean, the idea. The biggest strength Dave and I have together when we when we get to, Dave's life has changed a little bit, so we don't see each other as much anymore. But I, I've never had a, as much of a successful brainstorm as I have with Dave. Right. We brainstorm, we come up with the best ideas. Like some of the funnest tip videos have been simply yeah. because me and Dave have just brainstormed. Yeah, some of the really inventive content. Yeah. And it's also the ones where, I mean, when, when I was watching you guys, the two of you guys interact, I don't feel like it's totally coincidence that you did vlogs like a few months after that. Mm-hmm. Um, or some of the first vlogs you did was like you and him sitting on like a chair on like oh, outside yeah. chair somewhere. Like yeah, that was a mailbag. That was before I realized yeah. I was going to be doing a weekly thing. We were doing because I end up with all these packages, so I wanted to open them up and give them the respect they deserve. But now that's just a small segment on the vlog. I needed. I was developing it, obviously, as we all do all the time. I was developing that 
ongoing series, which I, I didn't want to commit to. I was going to do them whenever right. it felt right. But now having the regimented weekly thing, it's great because I can pull Dave in when he's nearby. I can pull you in when you're nearby. I can pull right. anybody in. And I know everybody knows every week I'm going to have this. It might be mailbag. It might be just an interview with some interesting people. So, yeah, Dave was in those first early few when he was around the shop more often. And it's funny. At first when, you know, I'm, I was such a fan of your sort of making stuff, and I think you have such an intuitive aesthetic. When I first saw you doing vlogs, like I was a little bit, like as a, as a fan of the channel, I was a little bit kind of like, I don't know. Like, I Me don't too. Know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Me but too. the thing that I didn't realize was, and I think comes out in the vlogs, is you're almost like an informal historian of a lot of weird, random things. It's and true. And getting a tour of your house and seeing that uh, it's not just one way. It's not just you just sort of making things. It's like you're collecting all sorts of weird things, <laughs> so both finished objects, tools, Things in all different sort of genres. Uh, uh, you've only seen one of my caskets. Yeah. Four of them. <laughs> Jimmy just showed me a wicker casket. Literally, for somebody's grandma was probably in there. At, yeah. Is it game used? Game worn? It's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's from the Victorian era, so that would have been late 1800s. It's a wicker casket that was basically used as a body bag. Right. So just to paint a little bit of, uh, of a picture through an audio medium, I'm currently sitting uh, around a mic. The mic is on a Home Depot, let's do this bucket, appropriate. Right. That I got from Dave Petruto. It's filled with my laser parts. Shout out to Dave. Uh, the bucket is on a piece of plywood, which is on some sawhorses. And probably 50 to 100 feet away from us is a wicker casket <laughs> that in. possibly held a dead body at some point. It probably held probably 100 or 200 dead bodies. Because it, it was almost like a stretcher. It was well, like yeah, a closed exactly. stretcher. for right. just. And the reason they were in a wicker, I did some research when I bought it. Oh, the reason the wicker... Is because it's pliable and that was a lot, you know, it's used Breathe, for a bit. breathable. It's breathable and it keeps the flies off of the people because it's basically uh, like a net bag over somebody. And you can kind of hose it out a little bit if you they leak some, yeah. some unfortunate fluids or exactly. dead people stuff. So, yeah, so it has straps. The straps are, are rotted away, but it has canvas straps. So you put the straps over and tie the lid on. Mm -hmm. And it has handles at each extreme short end so that you could walk through stairwells and stuff with it, mm -hmm. just like a stretcher. Right. So now that you're doing like uh, vlogs and stuff like that, uh, are you going to be doing it, it's almost like you're in some ways like I mean I hear you talk on the podcast uh, the making it podcast which big fan of mm -hmm. um, and you know you're you're you often reference Casey Neistat as like being like an influence and stuff sure. like that yeah he's been a huge influence on, on many of us I believe do you see yourself like sort of like transitioning into I don't know if it's like a storyteller a, a, a filmmaker in addition to sort of maker, or do you I just think, see that as just an extension of communicating the core? I, th I think all of the above, I think. I mean, I really do sometimes get into the interstitials in my videos, like just taking time and waiting for the pets to do something interesting mm -hmm. and, you know, playing with the chickens and, you know, finding those little tidbits that I get a really, I get a huge response from. Yeah. A lot of people really love those little tidbits of the, the animals interacting. And then also just looking for the story, like, just a couple of days ago, this great guy was uh, uh, Yaakov, a guy from Israel, came mm. to visit me. I wasn't there. I got a message from Brad. He said, Yaakov is a guy who wants to visit you, wants to see you. I, and he came in. I came in and he like gave me a big hug. And we had just such a great energy. And I was like, I have to capture this on film. So you'll see pieces of that in this week's vlog. And just now I have an excuse to capture pieces of video, which I would always be in my mind be like, this would be cool to capture, but what am I going to do with it? Mm -hmm. I can't fit it into a you know, speed it up build video. So now that has become my, my repository for really interesting, fun bits of video. And then when I met my hero of all time, Mr. Peterson, 
Mr. P222, the machine shop teacher. Right. I could videotape it and give him my admiration and then share it with the world. Right. Whereas before, I would have maybe filmed it, but it would have just sat in a file. I wouldn't have been able to do anything with it. There was no framing for it. Yeah, it, it, it's funny. One of the things that's always struck me about you that, that I've realized more when I met you in person than I did when I, when I consumed your sort of media content is that, I mean, in... in in your podcast, you'll often make fun of like the axe nerds, right? And, like, the yeah, people, yeah, yeah, but, the guys that oh, right. pick on me for the, the sort of me being creative. But what's funny is that, uh, and I think if they ever sort of actually talk to you, it's like, and I mean, I get a little bit of this from like hardcore sort of like people that you know really know their Ames furniture and right. like sort of architects <laughs> yeah, and yeah, stuff right. like that, and they see what I'm doing as sort of like a watered down version sometimes. Sure, but uh, I think that often the mistake there is that. It's not that you don't have an appreciation of those things. You're actually, when when I talk to you about it, it's like you're very reverent about right. those sort of right. discipline skills. And, uh, I, I, you know, I feel the same way. It's like I love fine well, woodworking and fine When I first saw your videos, I immediately said, okay, this is Picasso. This is a guy who knows how to draw classically. Right. He's classically trained, but he's having fun with materials that are accessible to everybody. Yeah. I got that immediately. But yeah. I could totally see how people... We'll just look at the surface and go, oh, what are you making this out of plywood for? You know, you can get better wood than that. Right. So you're making it accessible to the masses. Well, and I think that's, that segues into why, even though I was initially skeptical of the vlogs, why I'm really happy you do it. Because otherwise, that just keeps getting reinforced. There's no sort of point to sort of argue it. And what's awesome is you don't need into the, in the vlog to say what you're not. You need to say, no, 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 I actually do care. No, you can just show it by sort of being enthusiastic about right. things you discover. Right, 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 right. And I think like the printing press is like a great example. Like, oh yeah, we talked about that today. You get more or just as excited talking about that printing press, <laughs> which you didn't make. You just sort of Found lugged it. <laughs> around and restored right. you know, to, to, to some degree as you do your own work. Like, yeah. Uh, and I think that's, you know, you can't, you can't fake motivation for this long, right? Like, you can fake, like, energy and be like, you know, talk to the camera and be Mr. High Energy YouTube yeah. guy. But eventually, if you don't really like it, you're not going to be able to keep it up for year after year after year. Right. And seeing that sort of where, you know, you still get kind of tickled about, like, a weird find or yeah. a one-off piece yeah. or even just in explaining it to someone else. I'm sure you've explained how that, printing presses work like <laughs> quite a few times um so it's pretty cool to see you sort of still jazzed up about it it is it's it's just what's amazing to me and you said it when i showed you the second one which was made maybe 75 years earlier mm -hmm. the one i have in the container from 1863 that that one is just it's amazing you think somebody made these pieces out of wood mm -hmm. sand casted them in iron made them in cast iron machine the the parts the components that actually work beside and into each other I made this thing that was the equivalent of an IBM computer in the 60s, mm -hmm. in the 1863. So the, the last thing I wanted to touch on with you, um, which is something I've always found sort of uh, inspirational, is that like these days we hear, like there's a lot of TED Talks, we hear from a lot of like brilliant entrepreneurs about their sort of journey, and then I got this brilliant idea, and then I created this billion-dollar company and things like that. Yeah. What I always like in the podcast is... And I'm sure you're not that flippant about it because everything feels more real when it happens. But you'll talk a lot about sort of business ups and downs and moments where the markets change. And literally, yeah. your career is like a history of how economy and manufacturing <laughs> and 
outsourcing yeah. have all impacted the all. economy and those things. Like you're like the Forrest Gump of making. It's like <laughs> <laughs> I used to be in China, China all the time. I'd be in factory. Right. Like your story. I mean, you were showing me the the Hello Kitty. You, for God's sakes, you did something that involved Hello Kitty. Like yeah, I did the Hello Kitty. Uh, well, go back a little bit. Right after I did my TV show. Every time you do a TV show, and you kind of touch in that world a little bit, you think like, yeah. okay, it's on. This is it. Right. I'm set. I'm, I'm on TV. That's oh, it. Yeah. I'm set. I'm going to get my call commercial. I'm going to get my AOL commercial. Everything's going to be set. I'm going to be this. I'm just going to coast. Yeah. That's it, right? And uh, so I've done that four times, and each time it's been like you basically get spit out of the stuff. It's like Charlie Brown thing. and Lucy holding the football. <laughs> <laughs> they keep moving the fucking football. <laughs> you get spit out of the machine, and you're like, okay, I still have credit card debt. Uh, I still have to make yeah. a living. I still have to. And every time, this one last time I did Dirty Money for Discovery Channel, we thought we were, we thought it was on, yeah. and then it wasn't on. And then I went back to working, and then my brother, I was me and Dave Welder carried. We were carrying furniture it didn't fit in an elevator up 12 right. flights of stairs i'm not even joking 12 flights of stairs on yeah. a july day we had to carry half of this furniture i built that didn't fit in the elevator up the steps and while i was at the like the 11th floor we had to like do two floors and breathe and do two floors and breathe i got a phone call from my brother i said hey do you want to my buddy steve is transitioning his company and he needs a head of product development do you want to be that guy this is in 2012 mm-hmm. my show had ended literally 10 months before and I went back to the grind and I just started YouTube but I really didn't have a direction and I said sure so I went to work at that toy company for $10,000 a month to be the head of development and the first project I worked on I only I only worked there for seven months the agreement was going to be for six months while they did other things they just needed a guy to keep thinking that they could trust because mm-hmm. they were about to fire everybody mm-hmm. so Steve is kind of family to me so he goes hey do you think your brother would do this and that's why I got there anyway so I was developing some products and the one most product they were all focused on was the Viewmaster and when I got there, they had hired an artist to do like 25 renderings of the new Viewmaster that they were going to license and reintroduce. And they showed me 25 drawings, and none of them looked like Viewmaster. I was like, and so I feel responsible. I said to the owner, who was all gung-ho, he was into a Mac computer. Everything looked like a Mac computer. I was like, right. are you taking 75 years of branding, you're mm-hmm. throwing it out the window, and you're doing a knockoff of this product? Right. But you think because you're licensing the brand name, people are going to care. Right. I said, the mothers and... People don't remember the names. They remember the silhouette, the shape, the I feel. I said, you're taking this yeah. object and you're throwing it out the window because you want to modernize it. Right. It's an old school thing. You can modernize the graphics and upgrade it, but you don't change it 100%. Right. And so I feel responsible for having done that. There was a couple of compromises and we, we ended up coming out with a product that still looked like... When, you, when we looked at every one of them, we had battle boards where we looked at the first right. one... Every five or seven years, they would change it. The big truck just drove through. Yeah, it's fine. Um, anyway, so I was—I feel responsible for having convinced the team not to change it drastically and right. to change it, you know, in, in incremental change. And then we ended up getting heavily involved in the technology of making the stereo images, and I mm-hmm. got involved in doing the Hello Kitty reel. Every reel has seven story. It's a seven seven image story, but every image is two eyes. So. Every Viewmaster reel has 14 images. Right. And every two opposite are for your eyes. So you get seven right. stereo sets. And each one of them tells a story. So we had to go through the Hello Kitty graphics and come up with, you know, <laughs> like a seven-cell story, which very, could be super loose. Right. Some of them are just collections, but they, they would push you to try and come up with a story. And everything had to be licensed, approved, and everything through the, the company that owned Viewmaster and the company that owned the graphic that we were doing. Say, Hello yep. Kitty, we yep. did Spider-Man, we did... Despicable Me. So I got to see the second Despicable Me before it was out. So I had like a little inside track. So I did all those graphics and I learned how to make a stereo image with Photoshop. I had a set of special stereo image glasses I would wear while I was on my 
computer shifting, mm-hmm. doing the doing the visual shift. You keep one image basically stays the same, and the other one's broken up into layers, and you shift the different layers. And the further away you go one direction, it pushes them back mm. in the camera, and further pushes them forward in the camera in the opposite direction. So, so it, it it's funny, right? Like so that's like that's a total little detour in your <laughs> yeah. career, but it's like you still speak about it with like the, the level of detail that you would be if you were just talking about the latest Witchblade project right, right. or something that you're working on. And I think the, the lesson that I take for that, and I think is, uh, you know, I think people, one of the questions I get, I'm sure you get this a lot too, is like, how, what are tips for growing a YouTube channel? Mm-hmm. And I think what, whatever I tell you in terms of like focus on these videos, this keyword strategy, it diminishes the role that like those types of experiences that right. you just described Real genuine had, right? learning problem solving i mean we all go to youtube to solve prob- to solve problems how do i do pottery how do i what is the right, right. mix of concrete how do i change the faucet on my sink that's all problem solving right and if you know if you have a channel where you're constantly problem solving or solving your uh, you know you're solving your own problems with somebody else's right. channel people could vicariously win with you and that's a that's a really great thing about youtube right that's why i tell people never to be in a hurry with like youtube or these mm-hmm. things because it's like you've your career hasn't been linear it's been all over no one could yeah. have planned that it's just yeah. a series of collisions and things but the one through line is that you're always sort of making things thinking things progressing ideas yep interacting to see things through at least starting projects there's I try to finish them all but i don't I, you know i, I always tell the story when when i'm sort of talking about my my, my career where i say in 2006, when I was doing my first tech company, raised a bunch of money, and I thought I was really fucking smart. I was like, oh, shit. I did a PowerPoint presentation. People gave me a million bucks. Like, right. you know, like, my, my ideas are valuable. Right. And then 2008 happens, and I realize that I, it, wasn't, it had nothing to do with me. I was, just a, I was just a part of this thing in a great economy at that point, and then right. when it crashes, I'm really not worth a damn thing. Right. And that's what I think about YouTube isn't like the formula that there's this consistent guaranteed thing that if you do these kind of videos, you're going to get this kind of mm-hmm. results. The brilliance of YouTube is that we can do it on our own without anybody's approval. Yeah. And that's why I say people, you know, uh, when I talk to people and they say, Oh, should I hire a camera? Could do it? No, 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 no. Because you're automatically putting yourself in that same situation where you have a boss or a dependency right. or you have something where you're immediately not creating ROI on the content you're producing. Find it on your own. Just do it. Do it. Just really, the best thing about YouTube is that there is no production crew, or you know, every once in a while somebody hands the, hand the camera. Like Dave did some of my production, but we had fun. It was like you know a two man effort, and then now Brett's doing some of my production, and Brett's doing some of Taylor's production. But it's still homegrown. It's right. not like where's the craft services? What time do we go home? He's on the phone every time in between every take, trying to get a job somewhere else. It's not like that, right? And I, I would say it's been like that on television productions. Is that? Your career's taken all these turns, but where you ended, it wasn't so much that it was YouTube. It was that you found a place where you could just consistently do creative things yeah. and monetize that without yeah. anybody else's buy-in. Yeah. And I think that's the takeaway that people should take is that it's not necessarily about making videos or doing that. It's not necessarily doing that. It's about finding that sort of autonomy where you can make a little bit of money mm-hmm. by just by literally just monetizing you know, the ideas that come through your head frequently. Yeah. Well, I, people ask me all the time, well, people say to me, Hey, my channel's not growing fast enough. I think I'm going to quit. They're doing it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. I really believe that. Cause I went into this wholeheartedly, just basically showing off. I say it all the time. I went into show off to show the TV business what they lost. 
But nobody, they didn't care in the slightest bit. Nobody was watching. Yeah. And then I grew, I grew. Like a productive chip on your shoulder. <laughs> yeah. You still got to look like, okay, so. I just still have that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but now it's like, it would have to be like a pretty awesome TV deal for you to get you to do it yeah. now. If you read my description, I say, if you're a TV producer, please only call me with serious ideas. I said 95% of the ideas I hear are bad. So I want them to read that. So the one person that says, you know, it's like, you know, I, I, I'm an egomaniac, but it's like the hot girl in the room. Like she's going to blow everybody out of the water until the one guy gives it like the right set of words in the right order. I'm mm-hmm. waiting for that to come through where I might say, OK, I'll work for $2,000 a week because I really right. love this project or I love the people involved in this project. And it's not always about money. It's about the creative chemistry of who it comes to me. Right. I'll do a project for free if right. the chemistry is there and I feel like there's going to be a gain in the future somewhere. Yeah. I mean, even when I was pitching a show with Nick Offman, they ended up – we pitched the show and it didn't go anywhere. We, we got a thing where I was going to get 10000 an episode. I'm like, oh, that's good and well. But I really want – what's more important to me is 20 episodes. Right. I said to the agent, I'll do 20 episodes a, for $1,000 a, a week. Right. I want to make a catalog. I don't want to just do three episodes and run away with my thirty grand, which I'm going to spend before I even make it on that production because it's oh. going to be traveling around. And going, it's, you know, it's, it's not an easy ten grand. And ultimately, we, we both, Nick and I both decided nobody was giving us a series that was going to be, at least nobody, nobody seemed to believe the legacy of making a series of volumes that are going to become a, we, we, our goal was to make like the way people reference fine woodworking right. 225, you know, after, right. you know, magazine number 225. We wanted to do that. And we couldn't really get the vibe that people were willing to take that trip with us and we just said forget it well the, the, the piece of content that I've always wanted from you isn't so much a TV show it would either be like a documentary film mm-hmm. like a feature length documentary I think mm-hmm. just about your sort of story and journey, and journey I think would be mm-hmm. like fascinating maybe in like a three part series Bill or something Lavosi's like that been writing a book about me but yeah. like, more well, about my more about my philosophy not about like right. hey this is how you cut a piece of metal like what make did but more about like you know the oddities that are surround me People, yeah. places, and things, and or like a biography, I think would yeah. be fascinating. And, yeah, like like my philosophy and how it's developed, and but it has to have like images in it, like random things mm-hmm. that you that like. I'd also like to see like a list of like the uh, of like your hunt, like you, it's just like a random list of like the hundred your favorite objects that you've come <laughs> across in your world, <laughs> right, right. or if you like sort of rank, you went through like each decade, and you're like, here's the, the ten coolest thing I think from this decade, right? This, this is tool. this is my one of my most favorite objects. Oh, it's the little GoPro. Cube. It's the Cube Go GoPro. This thing is amazing because you could literally like think about when I first got into filmmaking. You had to have an Aeroflex thing with the big bunny ears. Yep. Ten. 10 minutes of footage costs you hundreds of dollars to process. So you, you shot so you didn't see it for months or weeks later. You throw it in a can. When you finally got enough to bring it to the developer, it cost you $1,000 in developing fees. Mm-hmm. For 400 bucks, I got five of these. Everyone's like, well, aren't they expensive? I'm like, compared to my previous life, this is free. Yeah. And you can do so many beautiful things with this. I could just and you don't, have to, tr- and you don't have to treat it like it's precious either. Because it's 200 bucks. I mean, they yeah. sell them for 400 and 200 I tell people all the time, like, well, get the $200 one. If you don't care about 4K, just get the $200 one. That's why I got five of them in my car, you know, because when you're driving, you never know. I'm always looking for my Pulitzer Prize winning moment on the road, <laughs> whether it's an interaction with a cop or somebody, you know, some weirdo walking I think it, I think it's more likely to be some viral moment where, like, a deer runs across and, right. like, <laughs> takes three, three backflips and lands in the, in the trunk of your car. I always say, me and Dave Welder, I always say, a Tosh.0 moment. Where am I yeah. going to get my Tosh.0? I'll get my five minutes on Tosh.0. Uh, 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 well, we're shooting enough footage that eventually it'll probably happen. Yeah. So what's next for you? I'm going to organize this room. I really do want to organize this in a, in, a, in a fashion where I'm going to have my 
this is going to be my woodworking area. That's going to be my metalworking area. I'm going to have all my junk on the back wall. And Tail is going to have her leather and sewing and clean room on that mm-hmm. side. We're going to probably fence her off and build a wall on that open wall and on this wall. And just to really organize this room and really build my place. I've been working with Kyle from R&R Builders. We yeah. have a quote for the trusses, which is the most expensive part. So we've gone around and we got a truss builder in the it, vicinity is going to make them for us. That's something I want to ask you about. Uh, it's funny to hear you talk for, I mean, for me to hear you talk about building design. Is that like a, like an area you're familiar with? It's funny. It's almost like, I feel like that's the area that like, uh, I mean, do you, do you know a lot about how buildings are made or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I went to architectural school when I was in high right. school. And I'm very observant. I mean, like we're in this room with it's got you know steel bents. This, this is an old Morton building, but yeah, I, I've studied buildings and I studied buildings right up to the point where I realized I'm not making my own. I'm right. somebody. <laughs> I got into it, and everyone's like, "Man, you should make your own building." You know, I'm like, no, you know no, no. I don't want to. I don't want to break my back. I want to. Sorry, broken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want. And when I started seeing what Kyle does on Instagram, and he builds a building every couple of weeks, it's like amazing. Right. And see, also the thing with buildings is they're big enough that even if you're doing just one, it has to be systemized, right? Like yeah. even He's the way, it down. It's amazing. even the way people know sort of like how to pick up like a giant four by eight sheet of fiber cement board, they yeah. have a technique for how they balance it before right. they hold it up and exactly. screw it into place. And, and he you, puts these trusses up. He's just one after the other. Like he's, st- I'm like, it would take me all day to put one of those trusses up. He's putting up five in, in a half hour. Yeah, you can get away with sort of one-off kind of things for like smaller scale stuff to yeah. scale what we do. But yeah. when you're doing that, like, yeah, if you're doing it the tedious way, it's, it, it adds up and it's a yeah. lot of labor. Yeah, I mean, I, I hesitate to talk about this building because I've been talking about it for years and it hasn't taken. The biggest problem with the building, the biggest hang-up, and Taylor will probably never hear this so I can talk about it. It's been her and I bumping heads on the actual no, design. No, that's, that's... That's been the biggest hang-up because I wanted to put up a metal building. That's, she said it should be more classical, fit with the environment. Then we went to a cement building. I couldn't afford that. Then we went back and forth. And that took like when, when two I, years. When I was in architecture, that was every project ever. It's like because two people the couple, the, the couple's right. But that's partnership in a nutshell, whether it's business partners or anything mm-hmm. else. It's like, and the funny part is, is that like it often gets into this like passive state where it just scripts so, just sits there. No, no one, no one wins. It just gets prolonged. That's exactly what's been happening. <laughs> it's like a government building. shutdown. <laughs> it's absolutely, that has been the biggest problem. Is that Taylor and I basically kind of bumped heads on the final design, and I just said, you know what, I'll just rent something in the meantime. Yeah. And then when when Kyle came for the weekend and we sat down and we discussed ideas, we all came together. Me and Taylor had a couple little rough moments in the meeting, but we got to a point where we're going to make this beautifully clean building all black outside all white inside everything outside is going to be black the roof the walls everything outside is black so it kind of fades into the environment has that modern feel because it's all yeah. dark and we were going to do these steel windows and we compromised hey let's just get pretty decent anderson windows that are yeah. efficient and i think uh, i think we have a, a good start it's not going to the building's not going to be done when he's done it's going to right. be done when i'm done with you know, oh, everything's everything's things. a work in progress. Yeah, because he's going. just going to basically give us the envelope. We're going to do the siding yeah. and with other people. Well, I can't wait to see what you do with more space. I mean, if you've been <laughs> able to make all the crazy inventions that you've done uh, yeah. in in that tiny little basement where you're going down that treacherous <laughs> <laughs> staircase. I, Isn't this beautiful? We got the air blowing through. We could see the ground. We could see. Yeah, we're out in the country. We have a nice little sound effects. We uh, got a drone. We could fly a drone in here. Are you going to fly that drone in here? Okay. Yeah. Might yeah. Be <laughs> Awesome. Well, Jimmy. Thank you, bro. Thank you so much for joining us. It was great. uh, It was great to meet all you guys. Always fun to hang out. Thank you, bro. 
And there we go. Thanks a lot, guys, for watching. We'd love to have you subscribe to the podcast, like I said at the beginning. Also, if you have any questions, topic suggestions, or any ideas that you think would be cool for the show, be sure to either hit us up on Instagram at Modern Maker Podcast or our website, modernmakerpodcast.com. We got a contact page there where you can leave a question, a voice memo, all kinds of stuff. Thanks again to Jimmy for being on the show. We really appreciate it. He also has a podcast, which I'm pretty sure you guys already know about. It's called Making It. It's with David Picciuto and Bob Claggett as well. It's a great show. If you're not already subscribed, subscribe to that as well. Thanks a lot for watching, guys, and we'll see you on Thursday with another regular episode. See ya.